please turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20 is our text. First Corinthians six thirteen through twenty. If you would please follow along as we read God's word. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall we then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. And every, every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Father, I ask that now you teach. Father, it is not I they listen to, but it is you who speak from the heavenlies. Father, there is much, much in this text. Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you will give to each that is needed. Father, we may bow before this with joy in our hearts. Father, we may understand that it is you who is guiding. It is you who is making holy. It is you who has bought and paid us, paid for us with a price. Father, such an evil time, and yet it's for that time that we are here. Father, may we bow before your word as children eager, ready to receive, that we may be poured out as drink offerings. Father, teach us this day. Let us embrace you. Father, untangle us from the things of this world. Let us grab with both hands the things above. Father, let it no longer be we who live, but let it be solely and only Christ living in us. To your praise and glory. Amen. Verse 12, I, I taught many weeks ago. Uh, and that is the freedom in Christ. What freedom has been offered from the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work, the indwelling of his spirit and his people. In light of that, verse 13 through 20 picks up what is our freedom. All right? The church in Corinth was in a place that you and I can't even grasp, and yet it's very much a mirror of the society in which we live in. Um, it, it was a, a city that was built by freed slaves, uh, and slaves were considered merchandise. Uh, the legal definition of marriage uh, was a very esoteric uh, thing. If you just wanted to hang with somebody and call that person your wife, you were allowed to do that. Uh, if you were two slaves still possibly under bondage of a master, and the master allowed you to marry, 
another slave you were allowed to, but if he chose to sell one or the other, then he would do so, and he did not need your permission to do that. There was great immorality in Corinth. Uh, Socrates used to love Corinth. He used to. He made a statement, and I've repeated this many times. He says, I love Corinth. He says, when you go there, you find bare-breasted women spearing pigs and climbing poles. Uh, I will deal with that in later text, um, and uh, you'll see why. Uh, it, there was a, it was a Greek culture. It was under Roman domination, and, and yet immorality was the norm. I believe that in our society today, immorality is the norm. What, does anybody know what the greatest single industry production that this country produces? Pornography. You know what is so great, we don't even know what the dollar figure is? Okay, and yet listen to what we say. We, we got mad at, at a, a, a young lady on the, the Super Bowl. Um, See, I told you guys you should have been in church. You just don't listen to me, do you? I was looking out for you, all right? But how is it that we can be in up in arms over that, and yet our single greatest industry is pornography? I know, there's only four people doing all the buying, right? I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. I, I heard a thing came out of Focus on the Family. 78% of pastors and pastors today said that they have a problem with pornography on the Internet. Then unplug it. E. Listen, I, I get the pop-ups. You have to point, click, and whatever, or delete. How difficult is that? I don't, what is, I don't understand that. That's... That's a bogus answer, okay? Because you, you can't just stumble into pornography on the Internet. You have to willfully seek it, okay? So the issue is not the pornography is there. The issue is the heart of man. And that's what we're setting the stage up. This book, actually, 1 Corinthians, is, uh, it answers four questions, that were posed to Paul. You'll see that in chapter 7, verse 1. And, and I'll show you the four questions. But what you'll see, he between 7 and 11, he answers the four questions. Okay? 12 to the end and 1 through 6, he deals with the stuff that he's into. Okay? And it started with, Chloe's people says there's divisions and schisms among you. And he dealt with one issue that would cause that. The non-disciplining of sin, chapter 5. Some uh, a man was had his father's wife, and you were treating it as a reward instead of sin. You need to deal with sin. You were not dealing with sin. There were people attaching themselves to uh, what Spiros Zodiades calls personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. I am of Christ. Uh, you, some of you in this body, have fallen into that. Uh, that uh, it matters who's teaching or who isn't teaching. Uh, do you understand that every teacher that's given to the body of Christ is given to the body of Christ and you're part of that body? And yet we have managed to uh, pick the body that we choose to fellowship with and partake with, and that is to many's disappointment and to their detriment, I believe. You're not a teachable spirit and not willing to hear some of the greatest things I've ever learned I have learned from people who were far less mature in the faith than myself. Sometimes we 
you get a little puffy and we don't realize it. And sometimes God will bring a very young child of Christ into your life and prove that you have strayed. But what we're looking at is our bodies, basically. The book will deal with personal holiness. Why? Second Corinthians deal with ministry. You cannot minister effectively without personal holiness. You cannot do it your way. You cannot do it in your power. You must do it in the power of the living God. You must do it the way God has said to have it done. And you must do it as he has commanded and in his holiness or you are ineffective. You can be very busy for God. But are you truly building with gold, silver, and precious stone? Or are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Uh, There are many in the body of Christ today who are busy building but will it stand under fire? When the fires come against it, will that work that they have done stand? And let me tell you something. The fires will come. And what I've learned is whether you're ready or not, <laughs> they'll come. So let me review quickly and then we're going to finish this text before I leave. Okay? He said, you shall not be mastered. Why? Because your body... It's temporal. Don't let your a temporary thing be your master. Why? You're not your own. You've been bought and paid for the price. Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food, and God will do away with both of them. Okay? And then he makes this statement. Your body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. All right? So I am not to be mastered by anything. It flows out of verse 12. All right? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. How many of us have put ourselves under slavery of something? Okay, I, um, I, I'm helping someone in the in the body uh, qualify for a home loan. Okay, I'm not helping them qualify for a loan. I'm making sure that they don't get burned. Is what I'm trying to do. Um, one of the things is is that who come up with the number that they believe you could afford? Okay, isn't it great when they come up with this enormous number that says you can afford this? You may not have clothes or a car or food or furniture or heat or lights, but you can't afford this, right? And then I want to throw in this to the mix. What do we give to the king? Do we give out of our riches or according to our riches? Because he has given according to his riches. We have a tendency in this country to give whatever is left over if there is anything. I've even seen one church where they put credit card things that you can slide it through. And I thought, huh, there's just something you don't think of. Okay, what has mastered us? Uh, I have met with some people in the past. They, they're not here anymore. They don't meet with me anymore. And uh, they were just having a, a terrible time. And I asked them if I could see their checkbook. And they said, for what? And uh, I did finally, they did show me their checkbook. And I could show them what mastered them. You can just go through the ledger of your checkbook and see what you write your monies to. And it's very simple to see what your priority is. All right. Uh, and, and I try to get people to look at that. What is my priority? Am I building temporary or am I building eternal? 
Okay, why? Do not be mastered. Why? Food is but for a time. Your stomach is but for a time. It's a biological thing. Then look what he says about your body. It's not for immorality. Okay, the word is pornea. It's not for fornication. It is not for sex sin outside of what God has designed. Period. It's not for that. Why? Because your body's for God. It's for the Lord, he says. Sex is temporal. Please understand that. And there's some other things I'll deal with as we deal with this. Okay, but, but do you understand what he's saying here? And, 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 and we have to remember these things. Why? And that brings me into verses 15 through 18. Okay? There's a membership that takes place. All right? Do you not know? I like that word. Do you not know? You know, this is the sixth time he's used it in six chapters. Six times. He's, and, and, you know, and it, is, it is derogatory in its original writing, but it also has in, in, in mind that, don't you understand that this is logical? This isn't higher knowledge. Do you not know? You should know this by now. Are you an adult? Then act like one is what Paul is saying. All right? Do you not know that, now grab this, your bodies are members of Christ. Member of Christ. Mile. Mile in the Greek. And it means part of the physical body. Did you know that? If you are saved this day, you are part of the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he gets, it's an amazing statement, but I want you to think about it. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? That's an amazing statement. In 1 Corinthians 12, he'll deal with this body picture he gives, that you are a member of the body. In Romans 12, he will deal with it too. But I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23. Speaking of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, it says this, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Okay, who's the head of the church? In what things? So why do we think we are? Why does the congregation believe they have such great insight into the way God should do things? Why does the congregation at time rebel against the pastor or church leadership? Now get me, I don't want to be presumptuous here. Sometimes church leadership needs to be rebelled against. Okay, but here's the thing. Who died for the church? Who did? Christ did. Do you really believe where he's at, he's going to allow um, perverted leadership? Come on now. 
I know, and you all believe that it's your responsibility to deal with it, right? Okay, which means the Holy Spirit took a vacation and left you in charge. Who's in charge of all things in the church? Very good. You know when you bring an accusation against an elder in the church? Two or more witnesses. You know why? It's a very serious thing you're dealing with. You know, the ones who are publicly chastened before the church are only the elders. Why? Do you not understand how serious it is? And yet so many people believe that it's their responsibility to do what? To police the elders? Perhaps we should submit to the elders and let God police. Just a bit of, just a thought. Here's what he says. He is head over all things to the church, which is his body. What does it say next? What does it say? The fullness of him. Where? What is the context? Where would that be? The church. Where is Jesus Christ manifest today? He's not in a ministry. He's not in a parachurch organization. If Christ is manifested, where is he manifested? Why do we struggle with that in this country? I'll let God search your soul on that one. That's not a difficult understanding. And I hear people say, but I'm looking for this or I'm looking for that. Let me tell you something. If you find a perfect church, stay out of it. You will only mar it. Okay? There is no such thing as a perfect church. Why? We're in it. All right? Which is the greater miracle? (laughs) Don't you? I've got people looking for miracles. Go to church. There is a miracle. Okay, so do you what I'm trying to get you to see that if you are saved today, who are you attached to? Okay, now, if I am attached to Christ, am I adding to that or taking away from that? My presence in the body of Christ, is that a plus or negative? Is it? I know some of you. (laughs) Just a question. When you are a member of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are either ministering or what? Being ministered to. You either are an asset or trying to be made into an asset. Why? God has gifted the body of Christ with apostles, Evangelists, prophets, prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers, pastors, for what? The equipping the saints for what? For the work of service where? In where? Some of you are sure and some of you are not. It's in the body. We make the body stronger. Why? I'm a part of the body. 
The body is the fullness of Christ here today in the world. If there's the unity of the body that that Jesus prayed in John 17, then the world wants what we have. Why don't we have the the unity of the body right now? I've heard a guy tell me that it was because Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. Really, God praying to himself and didn't answer his own prayer. Great. Okay, why? Is the unity there? Absolutely. Why isn't seen? Simple. Go look in the mirror. If you do not have unity with the body of Christ right now, I guarantee it's not the church's fault. Guarantee it. Not the church's fault. Why? He said, I will build my... Are we sure? Absolutely. So what do you suppose? Is he doing it or isn't he? He is. Absolutely. Is the unity in the body if he's building his church? Yes. If there's not... If you right now feel like you don't have unity in the body of Christ, why is that? I would call it your personal holiness or lack of. Okay? Why? Read Judges. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. What does the church look like today? Everyone is doing what is right in my own eyes, and if I don't like the way you do it, I'll start my own ministry. Okay? We are one in Christ. We are one in His body. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit is in us, and what happens then? We are in Him. I like that better than Him in us. I find out that I have a lot more fun when I'm in Him than being concerned about whether I'm He's in me. Right? And it's true. The days that I am sold out to Him, and I know that I am in Him, and all that people are seeing is Christ and Christ alone, I am just intolerable. Ask my wife. She'll say, yep. (laughs) And she says, there's times when you're intolerable and you ain't in him. But uh, we won't touch that, right? Paul is saying is, you're committing acts of sin, and when you do that, you are joining Christ to a prostitute. I want you to think about the word prostitute. When you think about prostitute, you think about somebody who's doing sexual activities for money, right? That is part of what the word means, but that's not all what the word means. It is any time I pervert anything that God has declared. Did you know that you can work and prostitute it? Have a job and prostitute that job? Contextually, immorality is a topic that we're dealing with, and it definitely would have to do with somebody who's taking the sex act and doing something that God hasn't designed. Right? That's what is the, would be your context. And he says, if you are doing the sex act outside of the way God has designed it, you are joining Christ to that sin. Okay, that's a good solid argument. But it's a good solid argument anytime I am trying to pervert anything. Sexual sin, you are taking Christ with you. 
if you're a believer. And Paul is basically saying, this is unthinkable. I mean, this isn't even something that a Christian would have the thought cross their mind, is what he's saying. Let me give you an illustration. Okay? I'm just going to give you this illustration. Don't stone me. I'm just giving you an illustration. I am going to go over here, and I am going to commit adultery. I have planned it. I have chosen my accomplice, and I am going to go. And I'm going to commit adultery. Right here stands Jesus. Jesus, I would like for you to come with me while I go commit adultery. Anybody here want to try that? What's the difference between that and a Christian having sex outside of marriage? There isn't any you're still going to be dragging Christ into it. But the problem is you're dragging Christ into it. If you were as a Christian to look and tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to go over here and have adultery. I would like for you to go with me. He would refuse. But if you do it in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, knowing that you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ, then you just took Christ with you. Verse 13, he says, Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for the food, but God will do away with both of them. Sex is not biological. It is not biological. How can it be biological if the two become one? Please don't tell me that it's a baby. You're telling me every time you've had sex, you had a baby? No. All right, now that we got that out of the way, what is it then? It is the union between two people. We will look at this later, and to the dismay of many, I'm sure. Husband, your body is not your own. Wife, your body is not your own. Did you know that? It has been bought and paid for with a price. Number one, it belongs to the Lord. Number two, it belongs to your spouse. You get third dibs. Okay, after God is done with it and your spouse is done with it, you can have whatever's left over. Some of you are laughing. I'm not touching it. Okay, that is how God has designed it. When he unites two people, the institution that we seem to want to have a congressional or a constitutional amendment to, God said that I will join the two, it will be an eternal bond, and it will be a bond that is done in the spiritual realm that is a picture of the union that God the Father has with God the Son. And God doesn't care how you legislate it. In the Old Testament, okay, I like the Old Testament times. I like it when people like to bring things into the Old Testament. Uh, I've been accused of not uh, honoring the Sabbath, and that's fine. I have other texts that I would like to bring into it because one that is amazing to me that everybody likes to overlook in the Old Testament, if two single people come together, man and a woman, Okay, and a man lies with a woman, then he, in God's eyes, 
married them. They have constituted a union. But, 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 that's what the Bible said. All right, you want that one? You want to hold me to the Sabbath? How many wives do you have? How many husbands do you have? I can watch the Sabbath easily. <laughs> uh, your child support may go right through the roof. Um, there is a consummation of the spiritual union. That is why when adultery, what was the penalty of adultery in the Old Testament? Stoning. Why? Because if you have committed adultery, you have consummated another union with another person. What about the first? There's only one way you break the first union. How is that? By death. So when they consummated a union outside of marriage, what happened? The two become one. And in some senses, the two became dead. It's not a biological thing. You've got to understand it. I remember a guy one time trying to, it's just like ferrets. It's not like ferrets. It's nothing like ferrets. It is a union that is on the soul level. That's why I give you this quote again. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters um, talked on it as an eternal spiritual bond. His quote, Every time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured, unquote. I have seen both. I have seen people who are enjoying the union with their spouse, and I've seen some who are enduring the union with their spouse. Okay, any sexual sin... You drag Christ into it if you're saved. Okay? He made the statement, may it never be. It can't even be a thought. Think about it. How many would think about that? How many would get up and say, well, it's Monday and, you know, I've got this little fling thing and I'm, me and Jesus are going to go hang out and we're going to have adultery. Anybody would think that? No. But yet how many have fallen into it? Verse 16, do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is, okay, the word with her is in italics. That means it's not in the text. All right, so what does it say? Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body? It is the communion of your being. Sex act is not biological. It's not physiological function that, well, I've just got to take care of this. It is the deepest, the most intimate positioning of two souls to become one. And God designed it that way. Again, the word prostitution is a defilement for the sake of gain. Okay, you can prostitute anything. But it is to defile it for the sake of gain. You have drawn a union with that person in a sex act. Someone outside of marriage, you've drawn a union with that person. And if you are joined to Christ Jesus, you have dragged him into that union. Verse 17. 
The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. With him is not in the text. So if you go one body with a prostitute, you're one spirit with Christ, guess who you've joined together? You've joined the spirit of a holy God with the spirit of a prostitute. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. How could you do that? Why? Your membership. Do you not understand who you're part of? I went and seen uh, The Passion. Everybody talks about how violent it is and all the rest of it. Uh, the gospel record on the, on the crucifixion is this stated thus. He was crucified. Okay, what does that mean? Well, for most of us in America today, we don't have a clue what that means. We have our little pictures. We have what we visualize it as and all the rest of it. Um, and um, to the early readers of the gospel record, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote those down to write down that he were crucified, they had no doubt in their mind what took place. Let me tell you something. If you've had sex outside of marriage, you better remember the crucifixion. Because they say, I've not seen anything quite so violent. What the heck did you think it was? Crucifixion was not this efficient manner of executing people. Crucifixion was to humiliate, shame, and show uh, what defiance would bring. And it was not, not unlikely for people to linger hanging on a cross for days and days. They die of suffocation. Supporting their body on an iron nail through the arches of their feet or through their wrists. What did you think it was going to be like? I, I think that kind of shocked me the greatest about it. Well, I just can't believe it's that violent. Well, what did you think it was? And that's the picture the Apostle Paul's grabbing in his brain when he says, would you take Christ and join his spirit to a prostitute? See, the Apostle Paul understood clearly what crucifixion was. And that when he makes the statement that you've been bought with a price. You have been joined to the Lord. You are one spirit with the Lord. Do you understand that? That you are one spirit with the Lord? Which do you suppose is the dominating spirit? You know, I really struggle with this in this day and age because I know people who claim to be saved that you can't tell any difference between them and the lost. And yet, are you one spirit with the Lord? Please don't try to tell me that yours is the dominant spirit. Truly, do you believe that? Well, you just don't understand. No, perhaps you don't understand. The spirit of my Lord has the waters of creation in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand. When he wants something done, he speaks it. I don't understand what the big deal is. This seems very simple to me. Perhaps that's my problem. If I am joined with the spirit, I am one with him. How could I ever drag him into that? Verse 18, flee. 
Flee immorality. Flee fornication. Flee sexual sin. You know what it means? Get out! Run! If you have problem with pornography on the computer, shoot the computer! Unplug it! Flee! Run! Listen, you know the smartest way to handle sexual sin? Run! Listen, I can't have a problem if I'm not around it. Right? You know what the other way in Scripture to handle sexual sin is? There isn't. There's one way to handle sexual sin. Run! And if that doesn't work, run faster! I don't know why do... But you just don't understand. No! Joseph, what did he do? Run. Right? Ran right out of his jacket. That should give you a picture. What does it say? Run! You should run as if it's a panic. Well, I'm going to face it and gain the victory. I must know how the world lives. This would be a test of great spiritual maturity, wouldn't it? If you're mature, you know what you're going to do? Run! You're going to look like the Roadrunner cartoon. (laughs) And everybody goes, well, that was weird. First Timothy, Paul telling a young man who will take his place, 2.22, he says, what are you supposed to do with your youthful lust? Run! You have a youthful lust? What? Run! Go to Island of Patmos. You'll get a vision. Well, I don't, I don't understand that. I have seen bigger and stronger and more mature fall. Why? Because they didn't run. Get out. Don't sit there. Don't take it in. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Don't think about it. Run. Leave. Flee. If you're looking at something that isn't good, get out. Read something that isn't good. Throw it down. If you're in a situation that isn't good, run. Why? Don't even go towards compromise. Don't even entertain compromise. Don't get close to compromise. Put a hedge up. Run. Be a chicken. Flee. But what if somebody's offended? What if their feelings are hurt? What if they don't understand? Who cares? I don't understand this. This is biblical. The only response for sexual immorality is what? Run. You may not get anything out of any of my preaching, but I know that you will stand before God with no excuse for sexual immorality. And I want to just give you, that is the simplest solution to anything, if you really think about it. If I have something that I struggle with, what should I do? There you go. Um, And let me give you just a footnote for that one. Age doesn't matter. Okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Okay? Run! I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter. All right, look at what, and here's why I want you to understand this. 
Look what he says in verse 18. Okay, the word other is not in the original language, but we'll, it says every sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But, okay, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Okay? Outside your body and against your body. What in the world is Paul trying to get across to us? Um, while sexual sin isn't necessarily the worst sin, okay, it is uh, the most unique in its consequences. Okay, please understand what I'm saying. Um, it has a way of internally destroying a person, man or woman, that no other sin has the ability to do. Okay, that, that's... Uh, it literally causes a defilement that comes from within. Um, um, there are, you can commit other sins and there may be a superficial uh, guilt or a superficial uh, conscious thing that goes on and it may affect you to some level. Uh, but the sin uh, of sexual intimacy with another person, that intimacy that takes place between those two people is unique to that kind of sin. Um, and it'll destroy a person to their very core. Um, it is very deep. I believe in my own being and what I read through Scripture that it is far more destructive than alcohol, than drugs, than uh, crime, than anything else. I believe that sexual immorality, uh, sexual sin is the deepest penetrating sin that a man can commit because he is joining a union of spirit between another person. And in doing so, there is a defilement, a horror against God. Okay? Part of the reason that I feel this way is, is one of my favorite books. First <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. I want to share with you up through chapter 4, one, two, and three. The church in Thessalonica is one of the most amazing, phenomenal, God-exalting, God-glorifying churches that you can read about in Holy Scripture. They have a faith that works. They have a love that labors. They have a hope that is steadfastness. A very young church, in less than a year's time, their faith had, had been known about on the whole Greek peninsula. All of Christendom had heard about the church in Thessalonica and the Apostle Paul at most only taught there three months and then he was run out of town. And yet this church continued to grow and to thrive. All right? Uh, an amazing church. They received the word with power from the Holy Spirit. God was working through them in ways that was just turning the lost world upside down. And you just sit there and go, wow, what a church. And then he starts chapter 4. And in verse 3, he says this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is what? You abstain from sexual immorality. That you stay away from sex sin. Now, wait a minute. This is a church 
that received the gospel as if it was the power of God. This is the church that had a faith that works. This is a church that had a love that labored. It worked to the point of exhaustion. It had a church. This is a church that had a steadfast hope on the imminent return. Any minute, Jesus is coming back to get us. And yet Paul has to tell them to abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Each, but that each of you know how to possess. Do you see that, what it says there? His own vessel. It's sanctification honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And no man transgress and defraud his brother. You see what he's saying? Not only am I to know how to possess my vessel and keep it away from sex sin, I need to help you keep yours away. Why? And I need to make sure nobody sneaks in and starts to try to defile you. Why? It doesn't say elder there. It doesn't say pastor there. It says who? Brothers. The brethren. You know why people don't like to come to church? You can't say it's because I'm tired. It's impossible. Why? I will give you wings of eagle and you will run and not get tired, won't you? Ain't that what it says? What mine says, I, I can't believe it. Why? Why don't I want to be in church? Why do I want not want to be exposed to the things of God, to the people of God? I want to think of one reason. I don't want to be accountable. Why? What if I have a flaw? Well, if you do, welcome to my world. All right, church is for sick people. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I just like hanging around with you. Why? You help me. You know, some of you I can look at and say, boy, I'm glad I ain't them. No, I just can't. <laughs> no, I just can't. Come on now. All right. But we are supposed to hold ourselves. We are supposed to guard our own vessels. And guarding my own vessel, other people will watch and say, look how he guards his vessel. I've had people actually come up to me and say, I need you to hold me accountable. I want you to hold me to the standard by which you walk. I said, I just walk by the standard of the Bible. Read your own. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but I, you know, and I cherish that. But understand, if you walk into my place and tell me that I'm supposed to hold you accountable, duck. Because I'm going to. And yet that's what the members of Christ are, which is the, the body of Christ. You know what? I, I think about this. I read this text and I thought about somebody I know, and I'm not mentioning any name. She was 16 years old when she became sexually, sexually active. Okay. I met her when she was almost 18. Uh, she's probably in her mid-20s by now. And... Um, she hated herself, literally hated herself. You know what was horrible about it? At 17, she, she looked like she was in her late 40s. I'm allowed to say that I'm in my late 40s. So come on, lighten up. All right, you people say, well, he can't. Well, listen, I'm, I'm allowed to say where I'm at. I could have said late 50s. <laughs> Sorry, Al. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it, it's stuff like that. But I looked at that young lady and, and I was trying to explain to her that Christ forgives. And she couldn't believe that for what she had done, Christ could forgive her. I don't know what ever happened to her, but she hated herself. And it all started because a boy told her how much he loved her. And I said, well, where's he at? Okay, listen, all sin in a Christian stains them and blackens them. 
Okay? But let me tell you something. Sexual sin will devastate you. Why? Because even if nobody else does, ever, nobody else knows, you do. And if you do, what do you carry around? Guilt. And you think, I am unworthy. Let me tell you something. God forgives. Remember when Jesus was preaching his ministry and the adulteress that came and they brought her and were preparing to stone her? Remember that in the gospel record? Jesus fiddling around in the dirt, drawing, and he looked up at her and says, You who is without sin cast the first stone. What did they do? Dropped the rocks and left. So the lady was laying there at his feet weeping. He says, Where are your accusers? She looked up at his eyes. And he says, I accuse you not. So what did he tell her to do? Go and sin no more. Okay? And listen, if you think, if you've fallen into the snare of sexual immorality and you think you can get out of it by yourself, you're a fool. That's why God has given you the body of Christ. Why? that the arms of a loving God can surround you and help you out. Okay? Well, you don't understand. There are people who are... Yep, you betcha. There are some judgmental people in the body of Christ, and you know what? There always has been, and there will be until the day they get their blinders removed. All right? But when I think about dealing with a saint who is in sin, all I have to think about is he who is without sin cast the first stone. All I have to think about is him on the cross saying, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. It isn't that complicated, people. All sin blackens, but the sin of sexual sin destroys a person at the roots of their being. It blackens their soul. It sears their conscience. It masters in a way like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. And the only outcome of sexual sin is destruction. Is destruction. It has, it has inherent in it destructive powers. There's sexually transmitted disease. You can have children out of wedlock. You can have uh, just horrifying stuff happens that's just inherent in it. And it's amazing. Uh, we talk about teenage pregnancies. There is one system that was absolutely 100% fail-safe against teenage pregnancy. Abstinence. If you don't have sex, you can't ever get pregnant. It's really weird. I, I don't understand that. There's nothing else like it. And then if you go back to your text down in Corinthians, you'll see that your body is for the Lord. Why would I sin against my own body? And yet that's what we do. We literally have our sinful flesh rises up or the deceiver will lead you astray or a deceiver will come into your life and you will believe that this person is whatever they claim to be. And yet they will draw you into something that will only cause you to sin against yourself, not only against your own body. You will literally take the Lord Jesus Christ into that very relationship. Okay, I want to show you something else. Because now it's the sixth time he says, 
verse 19. Do you not know? You don't understand simplicity here? He says, let me tell you something. You've been joined with Jesus Christ. Okay. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Christian freedom. I shall not be mastered. Christian freedom. My body is temporary. Christian freedom. My membership is Christ. Christian freedom. Just think about this. I want you to think about this for a minute. Because, and I don't, I don't want you to get into t- highly technical blasphemous mode. Okay? Have you ever thought about a Christian being the shrine to God? Just a thought. Just a thought. When people see you, do they see the sanctuary of the living God? Do they see the dwelling place that the God of the universe hangs at? That's the phrasing that he is using here. Do you not know your body is this temple of the Holy Spirit? The shrine. Uh, I was thinking about India. India, they have shrines. And every time you have a, a little deity, or, and I always call them little deities. That's why God doesn't want me to go to India. Uh, <laughs> where's your little God at? <laughs> uh, <laughs> whoops. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But anyway, you, you have these little shrines. You've seen them, little Buddha statues. You have fat Buddhas, skinny Buddhas, ugly Buddhas, pretty Buddhas. Um, however you want Buddha to be is how Buddha is. Um, and, and you have these little shrines here. Uh, when Paul was preaching in Athens, they had altars everywhere to gods, right? He says, I know the unknown God, the altar you have to the unknown God. I know that God. How you think about that? You think about the temples of Diana. You think about the, the, think about the holy temple, the, the holy place in the center there where God would come into the mercy seat. Okay? Where's that place at now? Well, the temple is gone. So if we wanted to go and worship Jesus Christ, where would we tell people to go? Interesting concept, isn't it? I think it's fascinating. He says, isn't it common knowledge to you that your body is a shrine, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Hmm. Whom you have from God. I like that part. He throws that in there. Don't think you went out and got him. Okay? Don't think you deserve him. Don't think you went to the Holy Holy Spirit store and bought one. Why? You didn't earn it. You didn't secure it. He is given to you. You didn't even seek him. He was given as a gift. And you know what's really cool about it? You're not even your own. I like that. Christian freedom. Do you understand that? My freedom is bound up in the very essence of that I am the sanctuary of the living God. You are his temple. Verse 20, and you were bought with a price. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 19 says, You were not redeemed with gold and silver. You were redeemed by his blood he bought for you. You are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. You go into a church, 
place where God is worshipped? Would anyone come in and uh, commit? Ask yourself this. Would anybody walk into this building, say there's nobody here, and commit an act of sexual sin? Well, why would you do it with your own body? And yet, how many stumble? How many would commit an act of sexual sin if no one was around? What if nobody knows? No one sees? Do you understand that all you would do is defile the temple of God? Think about it. Eli had two sons. He went in to offer up some incense. They kind of had a little buzz on. I'm paraphrasing. Right? They had copped a little buzz. They decided they wanted to worship with God a little bit. And they decided they was going to offer up a little thing of incense and Yahoo, Jesus, and stuff like that. Okay? They walked in and what did God say? You're dead. Why? You defiled my temple. You are the temple of the living God. This building isn't. I see people who put more sacred trust in a building than they would their own selves. And if that's where God is, you are sacred place of God. Did you know that? You are. You who are indwelt with the spirit of the living God are a sacred place for God. You are the sanctuary. How could you defile the temple of God, Corinthians? Let me be explicit about this. Men and women, boys and girls, anyone tries to lead you into this, they absolutely have no love for you nor concern for you at all. None. Anyone who would shake their fist at God and say, I could care less whether I defile his sanctuary is a fool and your best bet is to flee their presence. People have asked me, are you nervous about uh, going to Israel? Uh, No, but I've got four days in Los Angeles that make me nervous as a cat. Why? That state is shaking their fist at God on the institution that God created. And I all I can think of is, quick, give me an airplane off the ground. All right? Bombers don't bother me. They're not shaking their fist at God. And yet I see people who fall into the snare. Women, uh, you tend to be more vulnerable for this. And I don't, well, I do know why, but that's not what I'm preaching today. You are susceptible to this. You want to be loved. You want to be held. You want to be touched. You want to be longed for. You want to be cared for. You want to be drawn close to. And if they would do that outside of what God has mandated, they have no love for you. They have no concern for you, nor your God. You're dragging your union with Christ into a sinful situation and making him one with a prostitute. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. 
your body is not your own. Your body is for the Lord. The result? Verse 20. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God. You know what's amazing about that text? When am I supposed to glorify God in my body? Well, no, you don't understand. This vessel is flesh and I'm supposed to go to glory and then I will glorify God, right? When do you glorify God? What should you do with your body? Verse 12. Be mastered by nothing. Why? In my body, God is glorified. Why? So that I may praise God with my body. I am going to make my body a shrine where someone can worship and they won't defile me. That's the phrasing that is being used here. Can somebody look at you and say, there stands the shrine to Jesus Christ? Do not defile yourself, nor allow anyone else to defile you. If you already have, the Lord will forgive. His mercies are new every day. Okay? Praise God. They're new every day. He always has mercy. But know this. If it's sex sin, you will be harmed. You will be harmed. Even in this life, you will be harmed. It's a tremendous price. Why? It controls you. It controls you. And it will pervert the design God has for you. Did you know that? Did you know that every child of God has a high calling, a holy calling? God called you for something? Okay? Sex sin will defile that. Let it not be named among us. Let me ask you a question. I'm done, but I want to ask you a question about this. Because for sexual sin to happen, believe it or not, it takes two people. Kind of weird. Okay? Some of you are single. Okay, some of you wish you were. But, uh, um, but, But you're single. Okay? If you are approached by somebody and there's a relationship there and it starts growing and all the rest of it and you are tempted to enter into a sexual relationship with this person outside of what God has instituted. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this even um, if you're married. Um, You know, in my line of work, there are times that I have to deal with... uh, with women, sometimes they're single, sometimes they're married, and uh, this is how I work. Uh, and I'm going to let you guys in on my my big secret. Um, whether it's a single woman, uh, a married woman, maybe with uh, uh, some marital problems, we have some women in this church who are married to unbelievers, uh, and and things like that. <clears throat> there is an ability there that people will try to persuade other people into sexual relationships. Okay? Ask this question. You can ask it of yourself. This is what I do with myself. Okay? If I'm ministering to a, a, a young uh, single woman uh, somehow, uh, for whatever reason, uh, always the forefront of my mind is as I look at that person, am I willing 
hang on a cross for that person. What's that got to do with the price of rice in China? If a person says they love them, then I'm willing to go to the cross for you. Sex has got nothing to do with it. My utmost priority for every person that's ever involved in my life is their absolute purity and holiness. That motivates me. That's what those crosses are for. You don't understand that, people. I don't understand why we don't understand that. Take anybody, look in this church right now and say, that person there, I'd go on a cross for that person. That's what this text is dealing with. This is personal holiness here. And my, my personal holiness is the fact that I prefer you to be holy and pure, exalted, lifted up before God as a chaste virgin. And that is biblical. That is the body of Christ. That is my responsibility to present every man complete in Christ, lift him up, holy and pure, and say, Father, these are holy, these are blameless before you in light of your word. This is what you have called me for. This is what I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for. Now then, if you're ministering to somebody, you take that mindset in and say, that person, however old, however young, whatever their marital status is, my primary position for that person is to lift them up holy and pure to God. I guarantee you, you won't have any wrong thoughts. Why? Will you go to the cross for him? Jesus did. And you are a member of his body. Can you do less? It's not complicated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your, for your precious church. Father, may we hunger and thirst for righteousness. May we hunger and thirst for the things above. May we hunger and thirst for your glory and your glory alone. Father, I know that in this small gathering this day, there are people who struggle. There are people who are entangled in sin. There are people who are entangled in the things of the world. My Lord, my Savior, please free them today. Father, let them see the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and your glory, your majesty. Let them understand the horror of sin and the price that was paid for the victory to have over it. Father, may, may we labor arm in arm with one another, bearing one another's burden, confessing to one another, weeping with one another, rejoicing with one another, lifting one another up, that we may present the other person complete in Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your indwelling spirit and the amazing things he has shown me. Father, may these precious souls strive for the fullness of life and the freedom in Christ that we as Christians truly have. To your glory and praise.